0: So in Genesis the third chapter in verse 15 it says this is is God speaking Uh, this is the incarnate Christ and I will put enmity between you and the woman, between Satan and the woman and between your seed and her seed and it will bruise your head and you will bruise his heel. And of course we've We've been taught this in the Bible, that this, of course, is the promise that God, in grace and through grace, gave to Christ, who would be the only one who is grace and truth. And we're going to see some, I, I believe this morning, some beautiful truths in the Word of God. But, but again, here, that was a promise that was given to him who would be the fulfillment of every single promise in 2 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 20, and that is why not one of them in 1 Kings 15, 56 ever falls to the ground. And whatever he speaks, he, through that promise that he spoken will perform it in Ezekiel uh, chapter 12 and verse 25. But that was, we see right away, grace. <laughs> we see grace in operation. For instance, for God to do anything for God to do a single thing outside of himself, it must be grace. And we're going to see, we're going to see what grace truly means this morning as God was, was uh, truly just uh, showing me and counseling me about that truth. Then we see in Genesis chapter 6 and verse 8, it says this, But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. You See? See? God's view is always grace, and we're gonna see how that works in such a beautiful, beautiful way. Then we're gonna read in Exodus 15, and this is just after he's led and dealt with so graciously his people who were in bondage for 400 years, and then just leads them out. What was it but pure grace? We see that in Exodus 15, verse one. Then sang Moses and the children of Israel this song unto the Lord, and spoke, saying, I will sing unto the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. Gloriously. Keep that word, and God wants us to keep that word in our minds. Glory, glory, and he has done, a triumph gloriously. The horse and his rider, that speaks of pride, man through his pride, uh, has he thrown into the sea? And in this sense, it's, the sea speaks of judgment. The Lord is my strength. See where it says, the Lord is my strength? That's what Joel 3.10 says, the, let the weak say what? I am strong. What are we strong in? In 2 Corinthians 12.9, it's his grace. That's why Paul would say to a young pastor in 2 Timothy 2.1, my son Timothy, be strong. You will find your strength in the grace, listen to this one, in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And that is why in John chapter 1 and verse 1, where the word with the Father in this eternal embrace with the Holy Spirit proceeding from them, put on humanity. In John 1 verse 14, listen to what, this is so incredible. The word, the word, the eternal word, became flesh. Right? Became flesh. And then look what it says. And dwelt among us. Look what it says. And we beheld his what? His glory. We're going to see this morning how you can and I can and no one ever can separate grace from glory. It's just something that's its impossible because you can't separate grace and glory any more than you can separate God in His nature, who is love, from justice. And, and it's a beautiful thing to see. So, in Exodus 15, verse 2, the Lord is my, is my strength and song, and He is my what? He has become my what? My salvation. How does God save us in Ephesians 2.8? We are saved by... Grace. And does that have to do with glory? It does, in such a magnificent way. He is my God, and I will prepare him an habitation. And of course, could we prepare a habitation unless that habitation is and would always only be Christ's? You see that, and I can see that in Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 22. That habitation that's been prepared For us to dwell in with grace and through grace, God manifesting his glory through his Son is that Lamb in Revelation 13 8 that was slain before the foundation of the earth. And in that grace and truth, with love and justice and all those other attributes in God, with his nature brought out beautifully in Exodus 34 and verse 6, we see this tremendous truth. I mean, just incredible truth. And we can see how beautiful it is. He is my God and I will prepare him an habitation. My Father's God and I will exalt him. He, this is the song that they're singing. It's not just a song of grace, but it is a song of glory. It's a song of glory. By the way, When we look at Isaiah 42 and verse 8, it says, God says, with another I will not share my glory. Because anything other than that is an idol. Again, that's Isaiah 42 and verse 8. Then in verse 15 of Exodus, it says, you and your mercy has led forth the people. I mean, is there any such thing as a merciful high priest who leads us in, Ephesian, in, in uh, Hebrews 4, 14 to 16, if he's not that God of grace, which he is? So you and your mercy, in Exodus 15, verse, verse 13, has led forth a people which you have redeemed. Okay, was our redemption by grace, of course, Apart from God's glory? Never, never. You have guided them in your strength. And God's strength, is it ever separated from grace and is his grace ever separated from his glory? And we can see clearly through the scriptures as God's showing all of us this morning that you can't. You have guided them in your strength unto your holy habitation. Now, that was the song that Moses was singing, and he, he, he said, Now, children, all of us as children, let's sing it together. <laughs> let's sing. Let's sing the eternal song of the Lamb. You'll see that, and I can see it again in Revelations chapter 5. That's the eternal song, the song of the Lamb, His grace and glory. <laughs> we can see it in uh, Revelations chapter 5 and verses 9. And 12. That was the song that Moses was singing. Miriam began in verse 20 to sing. The sister of Aaron, she took in verse 20 in her hand a, a timbrel, and all the women went out after her with timbrels and with dances. Not dancing anything like they do today, by the way. There wasn't anything suggestive about it. And verse 21, And Marian answered them, Sing you unto the Lord, for he has what? Triumphed what? Gloriously. But how for anybody? By grace. Gloriously the horse and the rider has he thrown into the sea. Her song was pretty much about grace. (laughs) As sweet as that is. How sweet is the sound of grace? How sweet is it? And then we can see all through the scriptures, and we can just barely get into uh, some this morning. But I do, by God's grace <laughs> and his glory, to go into this tonight in a, in a really in-depth way. And I believe, as God was just bringing me right back again this past week to his grace and glory, me personally, I, I really want to go into it Thursday, Friday, probably into Sunday, and I don't even know how it would stop. In some form. But in John 13, John 13, verse 31, it says this. Therefore, when he was gone out, Jesus said, Now is the Son of Man, what? Glorified. And God is glorified in him. Verse 32. If God be glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself and will straightway glorify him. Now, he always had glory as deity, as part of the Trinity, as one with the Trinity. Always had that. We see that in John 1.1. In eternity, there was, there was Jesus Christ in his pre-incarnate state, the Word. He always had that. So he has glory by virtue of him being the Son of God. But now he's got a glory that he's gonna share with us because he's glorified and he's the glorified lamb, the son of man, head of a brand new race of people. By his grace, to the glory of God almighty and for all eternity. And that's why he said that, if God be glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself and straightway glorify Him." And what a beautiful thing this is. In Hebrews 13th chapter, the best that in my ability, by the pure grace of God in studying uh, the book of Hebrews, uh, for so, you know, just for so many years, and by His grace learning it, but never coming to the end of my learning, but still learning the fact that this was written, and I believe, with all kinds of preponderance of truth, I believe, That this was written by the Apostle Paul, and again, reasons being he didn't put his name, you can read it in Hebrews 3, verse 1. That's why he didn't put his name there, because it was about Christ. He also probably put his name there too, because he was dealing with his brethren, the Jews, that he loved deeply, and they hated him. (laughs) And we can see that in Romans chapter 9, 1 through 3, and we can see that again. In in Romans 10, 1 through 3, how much he hated them, but in Christ how much he loved them. In other words, their hatred for him could not touch his love. Because that was Christ, because it was grace, nothing that he earned, and it had to do, it had to do with the glory of God Himself. And that's why we can see it. But this book of Hebrews was written to born-again Jews. And there's no question about it. It unlocks the so-called mystery of Hebrews the 6th chapter and Hebrews the 10th chapter in certain verses there. Especially in Hebrews 6, 1 to 4, we can see. And then in Hebrews chapter 10, verses 28, 29, and 30, we can see. And he wrote it to Christians who had tasted Christ, who had received him, but they were going back into the legalism of the law through their flesh. They were beginning to make more of their flesh than the grace and glory that Christ is and was in them. And so Paul, so through the Holy Spirit, wrote this for those that he loved so deeply. There's where we get to Hebrews, the 13th chapter. And you can see it in verse eight, Jesus Christ the same, Yesterday, well, we read the yesterday because the yesterday deals with time, doesn't it? And wasn't it the promise of grace and glory given to Christ, to the woman and the man, Adam and Eve, when they fell in Genesis 3, 1 to 6, that promise in the 15th verse? Yeah, that was his yesterday. That was his yesterday. Everything about it. And we read it in Genesis 6, verse 8. We we saw it again brought out beautifully in Exodus the 15th chapter in those first 20 verses and then some. We can see it. That was his yesterday. And today, the today that we have, indifference to the Jews that will reign under Christ during the millennial reign, we are the church. We are the church. Yes, people born again prior to that are heavenly people, but they were never part of the the Bride of Christ, the church. Never. Never. And and that's just the facts of the scriptures. We do not have a Judeo-Christian heritage. They're night and day. Okay? It's simple. John 1.11, he came unto his own. That's the nation of Israel. His own rejected him. Stop. There's a great parenthesis. But... Separation. See what the word does in the word by Separation. Great parentheses. We, as the church today, are in the great parentheses. That's right. It's awesome. And that parenthesis is, even in time, there's eternal truths being worked out in and through us, through Christ, to the glory of God, by his grace, through Christ, to us. And that's why, again, when we see these things, we are the church. The heavenly, the church position, is in Christ, heavenly. As far as above the earth, so are we in Christ. That's the book of Ephesians. That is 2 Peter 1, 19 to 21. As far as the heavens are above, that, that is above the earth. Because we're going to see the difference of our position being in Christ in the heavens, and what he will do and only will do during the millennial reign, something that hasn't been done, but yet he will finish with his people, ruling and reigning as their Messiah, the Moshiach, their Messiah, Prince, King, ruling over them during the millennial reign. And we will see that in truth and reality with all kinds of scriptures, but we'll see that in Revelations 20 in those first four verses. Beautiful truths that are brought out. And these truths are incredible. So now we come to Hebrews 13. 13, verse 8. Jesus Christ, verse 8. The same yesterday in time. Today, our time right now, with eternal life with us. And for what? Unto the ages of the ages. Eternity. (laughs) Nothing has changed about God. Nothing. So, as a result of that, stop being carried about with many, many different and very strange, not of the grace of God. You can see that. Okay, you can see where those that would pervert grace make it into something, even the most (laughs) well-intentioned would be to teach that, yes, it's grace, but the proof will be that you don't sin as much. Well, listen, the truth, honestly, the truth of the matter is this, and we'll see it later. We'll bring out the matter of the truth of that, by the way. And not that we should sin, that grace does should abound. In Romans 6, 1 and 15, it's never. Listen, God never gives grace for us to continue in sin, but it's the only answer to sin. There's no question about it (laughs) with so many different scriptures. And I'm very broken in my heart right now with this reality in my own life personally. So stop being carried away, for it is a good thing Why is it a good thing? Because it's God's goodness. And God's goodness has to do with his grace alone. And God's goodness has to do with his grace alone. And grace alone has to do with the glory of God alone through Christ. (laughs) It is a good thing that the heart, the mind, the emotions, the will, the conscience, self-consciousness, be what? Established with grace. Not with meats. all these other issues. Not with meats which have not profited them, that have n- that have been occupied therein. you know when we occupy with anything other than the grace and truth that Christ is, or when we even think that we can control the grace and truth that he's given us, is to be occupied with some very weird, strange teachings. And in that way we've been seduced. in First Timothy 4:1, and two know this: that in the latter days, which we are the latter time, some shall depart from the faith. The faith there literally is the teaching, not that they weren't born again, and, and some were, some uh, weren't weren't born again, but said they were. But the major, but but they were. There were multitudes that were. But some that weren't, those that weren't, we see the truth in Matthew 7, 22 and 23. Many, many will say, did not we do in your name many of these good works? Yeah, they did it in name only, but never had the nature of Christ in them that did the work. We see that in Ephesians 2, 8 through 10, in crystal clear reality. Crystal clear reality. But there are multitudes of Christians that get carried away with strange doctrines. In these last days especially, Because in Revelation 12, 12, Satan knows that he has but a short time, but still carrying on and in his sane, sick, evil deception. So in 1 Timothy 4, 1, many will depart from the faith, all those truths about the person of Christ and the work that he has, past tense, accomplished and are functioning now in their present experience. Why? They've been seduced. They've been seduced. They've gone out. They've gone away from Christ. They've been seduced by doctrines, teachings that demons teach, by the way. Remember, every whatever the idol is, it doesn't matter. Whatever the material idol is or the mental emotional idol is, outside of Christ, it is being produced by doctrines of demons. That's behind the idol. As a matter of fact, even in concupiscence, it isn't the idol, the object that is itself. It's what draws out in man apart from Christ. That's the issue. And we, we'll see that clearly. And we went into, didn't go into it clearly, but the word concupiscence and what that word meant. We won't do it today because I only have a little bit more time here. But again, it is a good thing For the heart to be established with grace. Not with meats. In other words, making doctrines and teachings and specifics about things that don't have anything to do with the grace and glory that Christ is. Who he is in his person and who he is in us. Not only in our position, but our present experience. See? It's so beautiful. And that's why when you get down to the 13th verse, it says, let us, who is us, All those that are born again, let us go forth, therefore, unto him. Because where is he? He's outside the camp. Structured, systematic, organized religion of man apart from Christ. (laughs) That's Judaism. That's why we do not have a Judeo-Christian heritage. There is no such thing in the scriptures. But here's what we want to see in the beauty of this. When you and I begin to ponder, when you and I begin to think of grace... What do we think of? Well, we think of our interests in Christ, don't we? What he's invested in us, right? You know, monetarily, you invest your money. Why? Because you want to accrue what? Some interest, things that are added. When we think of grace, though, what do we think of? We think We think of what? Our interest in Christ. Now listen, but when we think of glory, we think of our interest with Christ. Remember, we brought out the glory. He said, again, and I I want to read this again. And boy, do we ever need to continue in this because I tell you what, this is... Oh, you want to talk about... Listen, there's no freedom outside of grace, by the way. There isn't. And if I use grace apart from freedom, it doesn't have anything to do with the glory of, of Christ himself to the glory of God. It just doesn't. That's why in Romans 6, 1 and 15, God never gives us grace to live in sin. Furthermore, in Romans 3, verse 8, should I do do good that evil may abound? And if we're doing good, it's 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 a result of his grace working in us. That's why we said it. And it's God has to teach us constantly and reaffirm and refocus our minds as we grow. God never gives a gift to a man to exalt himself in any way in his flesh. Don't, don't talk about your gifts. Talk about Christ. That's what the gift is for. Amen, amen. It is. Because if you do and I do, it's not his glory, therefore cannot be his grace. God never gives a man gifts or any gift to exalt him in the flesh. I am telling you, but to humble that man that woman, in his presence. And that's where grace and glory abide. It's in his presence. Now the first subject, the first thing of grace, the the first thing about grace is, it's very deep and very personal and it becomes very affectionate to us. Really, it does, and that's right. It is, it's right for that and that's necessary, and that always comes first. (laughs) It always does. He has to give us grace first. He has to deal with us in grace first, so that his glory can be manifested and revealed in a proper way. You know, again, there's no growth in grace apart from Christ being glorified in 2 Peter 3, 18, because you cannot separate God's grace through Christ that he is, through the glory that he is and has finished. It just can't be done and it won't be done by him. So again, again, what does it do though? It takes our mind, our emotions, our will, our self-consciousness and our conscience and brings us before the Lord. That's grace. Read Psalm 32, 1 and 2 in this context. I don't have time to to, to quote them uh, by the grace of God. Uh, Read uh, Romans chapter 4, those first eight verses. Read them. Read Romans 11, 5 and 6. That'll teach us some things about grace and proper understanding. So that brings our whole self to the Lord. But the glory, the second, takes us into, listen to this, Christ's circumstances. Oh boy. Christ's circumstances. For that glory to be manifested that he had with the Father, he had to put on humanity. What did he go through? What kind of suffering did he go through for that grace and glory to be manifested? When we think of grace... Do we ever, in that grace that he's given us and made ours, think apart from him and his glory? Because if we do, we make grace something that it isn't. And we will think that we can use it for something. And we will take that grace and use it apart from his glory and begin to view ourselves apart from that. And the only place that can be is in the flesh. And then with other believers, that's how we begin to see them their struggles, their circumstances, and their situations, and then not know them after the grace and the glory of Christ in the individual. And begin to counsel them that way in the flesh. Oh, God forbid, and he does, by the way. He does in Galatians 6, verse 14. God forbids that I should glory. Lest the cross of Jesus Christ should be made of none effect. There's not an effectiveness in the life that was poured out through that death. Literally, everything that Christ did, first and foremost, this goes into propitiation, first and foremost, he did in grace to the glory of his Father. Listen, alone, alone. Glory, listen, glory is in us, but it doesn't doesn't come from us as a source. And neither does grace. What makes us think we can take even the grace that he's given us, and then we can control it? It's impossible. Right. We don't function in freedom. We function then in judgment of ourself, judgment of God, judgment of each other in Christ, and judgment of the world. Right. That wouldn't affect our prayer life, our trust, would it? Well, it has to do with that. Because glory, we, we are to be occupied with his grace and to be occupied with his glory, and he is a glorified Savior in the heavens. We don't have the time to go into this, but I tell you what, I'm going to take the time, Thursday, Friday, and I think, at least Sunday anyways, I believe so, because it is so incredible. But yet, we can't separate grace from glory, or glory from grace. But what we can do is we can begin through weakness and yes grace is for weakness for those that are weak we said it joel 3:10, 2 corinthians 12 9 he he increases and sends us strength portions of strength in psalm 68 28 and that's grace love constantly flowing through grace and being glorified you know god who is <laughs> being glorified but i can get too fond of it in one sense and, and exclusively stay there in that sense and hang over the subject of grace and miss the glory. See, He's teaching us that with that grace that is so immovable has to do with his glory. It's so incredible when we think about it. See? But what he wants us to be is not only home at home experientially because of our position in grace in Romans chapter 5, 1 and 2, but he wants us to be just as much at home. Boy, this is so big. Just as much at home in his glory that he's given us. In Colossians 1, 27, Christ in you, the hope of glory. He wants us to feel and, 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 and to know ourselves and to be at home is much. Because you can't separate them. God, it, this is so huge. I, I, I said to God this morning, I said, God, I can't keep up with this. Even with the thoughts that I know he wants to reveal to us. But even now I can't. I, I, I can't thank God, too. It's going to keep me dependent. Going to keep me humble it's going to keep me feeding on him and tasting in psalm 34 verse 8 oh my god he's so good and to taste anything other than his grace and glory is an idol it's evil and something that's in competition with who he is in my experience because he can't because the enemy Can't touch, in 1 John 5, 18, can't touch my relationship, my position in Christ, which is heavenly, and that goes into the first chapter of the book of Ephesians all the way through. (laughs) The position doesn't change. Hopefully our experience doesn't. Because the fact of the matter is, as we begin to wrap this up this morning, in such a spirit, he wants us, (laughs) oh God, to be at home in his grace and glory as he is in us. <laughs> and that's why Colossians 3 verse 16 says let. Oh, that's a choice of the will in our experience. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Let him be at home in your heart so that you can find your home in him. And you'll never be an orphan. He'll never kick you out of that house ever. Ever. Because it has to do with His grace and His glory. And His grace and glory is finished. And He wants us to deal with both. And He wants us to ponder and to meditate individually who He is in us with His grace and with His glory with such an ease, such a rest. And that's why we need the yoke in Matthew eleven twenty-eight 28-30. Because usually we, get to, we enter into dangerous things and become susceptible to the, to the atmosphere, the enemy, uh, when we don't have that yoke and get away from him. But he wants it to be with such an ease and such a delight. What does that mean? And I'm going to close with this. In, in, in Matthew 3, verse 16, when he began his three and a half uh, year work, Manifested by the way, he was working the whole time in his 30 years of obscurity But he was, God was preparing him in 30 years of obscurity of obscurity. So if you think that you're being obscure and God's not using you Or you don't have this or that And then when you don't think God, you know, you get occupied with yourself And wanting to be used by God uh, Just remember that our Savior was 30 years in total obscurity But he was never lonely He was alone with his Father. He was preparing him for his three and a half years. And what did he accomplish in those three and a half years? (laughs) We're going to be singing it for all eternity. All eternity. But what we see there is he began his public ministry of revealing his grace and glory. And we see that's when the Holy Spirit, the Father... You see the Holy Spirit in the form of a dove. And when we think of doves, they're innocent, they're peaceful, they're harmless. (laughs) And it was on him. And then you heard a voice from heaven in 3.17 saying, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. And what he was saying was, where all my delight is. That's where all my delight is. He said it again in Matthew 17, verse 5. And of course the Son was there too, so you have the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit there revealed in its fullness in Matthew 3, 16 and 17. But Then you see they're on the Mount of Transfiguration. They're looking, they're on a hill, and we don't won't go into it now, what that hill represented. But there's Peter, James, and John, because they were the three. In their capacity, they could go further. Not that they were his his personal special bests. But in their capacity, in their capacity and in their hunger, they could go that far with him. Out of the 11, prior to, of course, Christ, the heavenly Christ, raising up the apostle Paul. They could go that far. And then they were there, and then, what? They had There was ministered to them, Elijah. Elijah, and that's in type By the way, as much as some don't wanna believe about the rapture, that there's not going to be one. Even in the type of Elijah, he was raptured. He didn't see death. And then Moses, yes he did, but he's there too in heaven. We can see it crystal clear in the scriptures. Again, even in the type in Genesis chapter five and verse 24, some would say that that was Enoch. Because Enoch walked with God and was not, for God took him without death. Little little seeds of teaching. And that's why every, every germ seed of doctrine is really in the book of Genesis. But not revealed till Christ came. In, in its fullness. But, we gotta go. <laughs> so, he wants us. And then they heard, he, he saw that, And then uh, they saw Elijah and Moses. And then Peter, of course, wanted to make three altars unto Elijah and Moses and Christ. In other words, he wanted to include those that God used and and make an altar to them. God forbid we should ever do that to servants that God used. God forbid, and he does forbid it. He may use us greatly, but there's no altar that we offer to them. No siri. And God doesn't give us our gift so we can brag about ourselves. He doesn't. And God forbids that also. And we need to learn it continually. And he will be our teacher and our guide. But he wants, but what he did was then there was a voice from heaven, a cloud came. A voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Hear him. Why? Because that's where all his delight is. The cloud goes up, and who's left? Christ. Period. We don't glory in men. Listen, I don't care who they are or how God used them in your life. Now there's honor, though. Be careful. Be careful. Be careful. Flesh is very subtle, but we don't glory in men. In 1 Corinthians 3, verse 21. We do not. God forbid. God forbid that we ever preach self and not Christ in 2 Corinthians 4 5. But there is honor in the proper order. There's no question about it. But let's first and foremost say we don't glory in men. That's right. We don't. But that's what he's saying. It's with ease and delight to function in the grace and glory that is ours in Christ, individually, intimately, where no other man enters. No other man enters in that delight that Christ has made each and every single individual. That's why we can be a joint that supplies. Well, Father, we thank you this morning. God, thank you, and and I'm praying, and, and I'm praying again as I did this morning as you were showing these truths on me that are all of ours together. May you continue, God, please, with this with this precious theme of your grace and glory in Christ, because, oh, God, how I need it. And thank you for the humility, the fact that your plan humbles me so that that can be my reality. Thank you for that, Lord, oh, God, please. And thank you for bringing it out, and we trust you that you will. Thank you in Jesus' name, amen.